It's Monday the 2nd of December 2019. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm honoured to be joined this week by Hoikud Holm, a roof broadcast journalist and one of Iceland's most prominent bow tie wearers, although uh, not today it has to be said. <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> Welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, the summit... The Samheri Namibian fisheries scandal has been the single biggest story this week yet again, um, understandably. Although you could argue that perhaps more seems to be happening in Namibia than in Iceland right now. Maybe we'll discuss that. Uh, Left Green Party MP Andres Ingi Jonsson resigned from the party this week, saying he's given the government two years but does not want to support it for two more. He will instead sit in Althingi as an independent. Icelandic municipalities and Vegagerdin will have the right to temporarily restrict or ban traffic for air quality reasons from the 1st of January. Journalists went on strike again on Friday and their dispute with employers remains unresolved, uh, with more strikes to come this month. A new doctoral thesis concludes that the mental well-being of young people in Iceland is worst among youngsters of Asian and Polish origin. And a new bill from the Justice Minister will, if it passes Althingi, consign the controversial Human Naming Committee to the Annals of History. Out east, meanwhile, there's much talk of suitable housing for semi-wild ducks. <laughs> so where would you like to start? Oh, well, I suppose the uh, Samheri and the Namibia, Namibia case is something that can't be avoided. Yeah. It's, of course, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's the biggest story and, uh, and a huge story, really, which we haven't seen the end of yet. We barely seem to have seen the beginning of it, yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The first part in in Quakewood was was more related to Samheri, as you as you said in your introduction. But uh, now we're now we're more focused on on what's happening in Namibia. There was an election there, of course, which mm. it affected, and uh, and and today, politicians, former ministers, and and former CEOs of the Fiscor company. The main company in, in, in Namibia are facing trial. They're in they're in custody as it as it stands. So, mm-hmm. uh, so the focus is there now. Al Jazeera just reported their story yesterday. What is from a sort of in, internal roof point of view? Do you know what's the angles that have been taken on this? Because it was Stuntin and Kaykur here in Iceland, and Al Jazeera they've been working with closely as well on the same story. What's the different approach they're taking? Do you know? No, I, no, don't really don't know, but uh, but it's the same really as as when the Panama Papers came out. There were there were there were certain media's who were sort of collaborating, mm. and I suppose that uh, in between them they uh, sort of uh, divide the uh, maybe the uh, documents or or, or, or the uh, focus mm. points, but uh, as it happens the. Uh, the uh, coverage here in, in, in Quakewood was it was a really well kept secret mm. indoors, mm. even in even in the in the newsroom. Uh, nothing really leaked out. So some of us who were not working at Quakewood were not really sure of what was happening. So um, and why is why would they do it like that? I, I suppose it's because it's very sensitive documents and uh, and it's and they put a lot of work in it. Mm. Been working on it for months, so so just to be sure that nothing leaks out that could damage the story and and uh, and what they're doing. So I suppose you have to really keep a lid on it. Mm. When you say damage the story, is that like 
if something leaked out, then the company could maybe get an injunction and, and possibly, stop possibly, it and, and or, or even uh, sort of a, uh, have the chance to. I wouldn't say fabricate, but uh, uh, sort of a prepare, start going into some sort of a damage control. Mm. But then again, of course, Samiri had ample opportunity to respond to the Quaker story. Mm. As, as documents have shown, they, they, the emails that go in between them, they, are, they had a number of opportunities to tell their side of the story, which they... Including interview requests. Oh, yeah. And, yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But they were... As, as you saw in Quaker, Samiri replied in the manner that... Uh, they wanted to have a meeting with, with the journalists, talk it over and point out what was wrong and what was right and things like that, but declined an interview. So, mm. but And they wanted to meet them in London? They wanted to meet them in London, yeah. So Icelandic journalists, Icelandic company. Yeah. It's a bit strange. It's a bit strange. Might be, I don't know, intimidating maybe. Maybe trying to affect them by being their hosts, them, them being guests. I don't know. It's, a, it's kind of strange. Mm. I agree. There's been some criticism in Icelandic society that perhaps not enough, visibly at least, has been done uh, in the case so far in terms of investigation, in terms of the justice process. Um, certainly we had a, a, a protest last weekend and there's another one planned for this weekend. Um, meanwhile, in, in Namibia, as you say, there have been six arrests um, and the court proceedings are starting. Are we behind or is it just all behind the scenes? I suppose it's more behind the scenes and I suppose also that it's we have different judicial, judicial systems and, uh, and, uh, and, and ways of operating, I would think. Mm. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the, with the system in Namibia, but... Uh, but I suppose it's just different cultures, I think. But, but we see also uh, in, in more developed states, like like in America and, 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 and Britain and elsewhere, people get arrested and they remain in custody uh, while investigations are going on. But here... Mm. Uh, if if you get arrested and if you're remanded in custody, in cases like this, you get released very quickly. So, uh, so because the main focus is on the the courts should handle the story. But I thought custody in Iceland is very much seen as a safety thing, isn't it? Violent yeah, criminals. Yeah. If you're yeah. a tax evasion suspect, yeah. you're not. No, it's it's like in in in. in Criminal cases, if it if uh, if there's a risk of the uh, person in custody trying to affect witnesses or or maybe being dangerous or damaging the investigation, but uh, and we really hardly ever see custody in in in, uh, in white collar crimes, apart from the what happened in in the in the in the bank crisis in 2008 and nine, mm. and there were some prominent. People in in custody for for a while and eventually in jail, mm. but I suppose the uh, I suppose there are just different ways of operating uh, Iceland Namibia, but uh, I, but I'm sure that a lot is going on behind the scenes because the uh, 
prosecutor isn't, of course, saying very much. And and uh, and also, I think the uh, system wasn't quite prepared for a investigation like this. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, I think the politics, the uh, the uh, the government, and the ministers have to sort of uh, they have to add funds to the to the to the institutions that that uh, investigate and uh, uh, I don't know maybe they would need to change some laws possibly but uh, I think I think we're, the system here isn't isn't all that prepared for for a crime and investigation mm-hmm. of this kind I don't know whether in in Africa or in Namibia they're more accustomed to it I don't know but uh I suppose I suppose it's a uh, different cultures, different ways, different ways of operating. I mean, you could say, in a way, though, that this is like yes, it involves fish instead of banking, but it's you know we had, we do have experience of this from ten years ago and the whole yeah. aftermath of the collapse. Yeah. And we also have very little tolerance, I mean, yeah. the public for for things like this, mm. tax evasion and and this sort of a sort of a this kind of business. And this one hits on so many different nails, doesn't it? It's it's not only an Icelandic company, potentially, we can't lay the allegations ourselves, but potentially getting around tax and, and doing money laundering, which is bad for the Icelandic tax system and the employers, but also exploiting poor people in a developing country, notabene a country that Iceland invested a lot of public money in uh, in development aid. So yeah. it's, it's, that's three... Big things right there. Yeah, and uh, and as you say, Iceland has done a lot of, or did a lot of work in development and in, in fisheries in, in Namibia, and, and that sort of uh, created a lot of goodwill for Icelandic companies, yeah. Samheri, for instance, to operate there. So so they're taking advantage of the work that that the that the that, that was done, the development work, and uh, and. Some have tried to explain that uh, this bribing and money laundering and, and uh, the way they seem to have operated there is just normal business, normal way of doing business in Namibia. But that doesn't. But that's not an excuse. I mean, it may well be that that that's the way they do business there. But uh, it doesn't mean you have to take part in it. And that's just the bribery side. Yeah, it's a much bigger case than just that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so. and then the yeah, uh, the uh, of course the uh, proceeds of it all, the the, the profit of it, mm. being being transferred to to Cyprus and, and different countries. So yeah, to avoid tax and, and Cyprus, Dubai, yeah, Mauritius, yeah, Norway, yeah, it's a it's a big <laughs> yeah, and it was it was kind of it was kind of uh, one of the big angles I think in that. Part of the story is the part of the Norwegian bank DNB, because Norwegians. I mean, I would imagine that they are quite proper in in, in the way to do things. So DNB is a state-owned bank as yeah, well, isn't it? Yeah, oh. a, a huge bank, and a, and a, so it's is to to me that's one of the most interesting parts of the story is the part of that DNB bank. Because it's Norwegian, because it's it's this huge bank in Norway. Mm. But then again, not long ago we see we saw that the Danske Bank, the Danish bank, mm. 
in 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 the Baltic regions in money laundering. So, uh, so the Scandinavian banks, although they seem to be honest and and, and upright, maybe they aren't. I don't know. Who knows if any bank is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on that note, let's move on to a different topic. Um, where would you like to go next? Oh, uh, if we maybe go to the uh, into Icelandic politics, we have, as you mentioned, uh, one MP for the Left Green Party. Yeah. What is this significance of this? They still have a majority. It's still, not um, it, yeah, threatening the government specifically, but no. of course it is a threat. It is a threat because the majority is only in uh, what two or three. Mm. MPs, but uh, uh, so it's it's. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, if it's very damaging for the government, but it's unfortunate at least. But it does not come as a huge surprise because Andres Ingi and Rosa Björkminjörsdóttir, two two members of of, of uh, the left green, were opposed to this coalition. So so when the, when when uh, when the uh, when the Parliament Party of the Left Green came to vote on whether to lead this government with those other two parties, the Independent Party and the Progressive Party, they voted against it. So, uh, mm. so if someone defected, it had to be Andrés Inki or or, or Rosa Björk. But uh, so it's not a huge surprise. But uh, uh, he says that uh, he's been has, he has given the government. The chance to sort of, uh, he's been patient with them and and uh, and giving them a chance to do their work, but it has come come to a point where he can't support it, support the government anymore. One of the things he says was that he fails to see the big breakthroughs that his party have made yeah. in the co- yeah. in the coalition agreement yeah. compared to the big breakthroughs that the other two made. Exactly, and and the uh, because this this coalition is is. Uh, is an unusual one having the independent party and and the left green in the same government mm. is unheard of really. Uh, the progressive party is is always has always been very willing to partake in government with anybody, but uh, uh, then again, the I think it's fair to say that if one of the three parties has sort of a been damaged by this by this coalition government. It's a left green because uh, they sort of they lead the government, but uh, but they uh, their supporters or their voters in general feel that they've uh, sort of sold out, uh, sort of uh, not not making a stand. Now, is that because of the kind of people that support them and their strong opinions, or is it is there real merit to that point of view? Have they sold out? Not sure. It is the uh, the sort of people that support support them. They're more radical, really, than than mm. many other parties. But I suppose they're also disappointed because it's the first time that the left green lead the government. So. So that uh, they would have hoped for uh, maybe more focus on their their issues. But what are their issues? Climate change, climate change, gender uh, equality. Uh, yes, yes. And and, and uh, more, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, social welfare, things like that. Yeah. And those are surely at the forefront of this government, aren't they? They are, but uh, I think the voters of the left green think that that not enough is being done, and uh, and also that. Uh, what sort of a 
is uh, what, what you what we noticed when when the government was formed, because we had elections very frequently before before this government was formed, and uh, people were getting tired of voting all the time, and there was a new government just starting to work when they sort of. Had, when they explode, explode, <laughs> yeah, really, as it really did, and yeah. uh, and 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 you could you noticed when those three party leaders came together to announce that they had reached an agreement to form a coalition government, and I think they said it out loud, really, that uh, that enough voting had had been done for the past few years, and now now we're going to try to sit out the whole term. So I think even though those parties are different in many ways. I think one thing that really binds them together is the uh, intention to sit out for the whole term. So they're, all of them are sort of a, sort of a, trying to avoid any very difficult conf uh, conflicts, mm. I think. But... Uh, but I suppose that the, the voters of the left green are more more radical than than the voters of the others. I mean, the uh, Independence Party is a conservative party, and so is the Progressive Party. Although it's called the Progressive Party, it is a very conservative party. So, I think those voters are. I think they had more expectations. Mm. Uh, disappointed, maybe. Then, of course, if I have no no way of knowing if there's any any truth in it, but. Uh, one wonders if Andrzej Inki was perhaps uh, valuing uh, or sort of uh, thinking of his own position because I think it's fair to expect that in the next election, left green will, it will be difficult for left green. Yeah. So maybe he's thinking... But if he's an independent at that point, he can't be elected at all. So no, but he, no, but he might he might join the party again or whatever he does. But uh, at least he has distanced himself mm. from from the party. I don't know whether it's it mm. has any if that's in his mind or not. But, uh, no, but he, really he is distancing point. himself mm. from from the left green. And okay, we will, um, see, we will see. So when when the government passed the the halfway point, it's two years yeah, quite yeah. recently. Yeah, we discussed on this actual on this program that there didn't seem to be anything on the horizon that threatened them making it all the way to four years. No. Now we've got the the Sanheri scandal, very much fits into politics as well, and this. Yeah. Will they make the next two years? I think so. I think so, because, uh, as I said before, they're so determined to sit out the whole term. I think a lot can happen without them, mm. without the government exploding. But, of course... Uh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I think they'll do their very, very best to sit out. But like you said, the Samheri case, back to that, is is a sensitive sensitive uh, issue. Mm. I mean, the Minister of Fisheries and Agriculture in Iceland is, used to be a uh, chairman of the board for Samheri years ago, and, he's, and he and uh, Samheri's main owner and, and uh, CEO are good friends. And uh, so... They've been sort of a. People have been trying to sort of a, view his position in that light, but uh, today, on the second of December, I I don't see him resigning. They never do. They hardly ever do. Hardly <laughs> ever do. 
Um, I mean, it's true what he says that he's under such scrutiny, such a strong spotlight that yeah. he has to take a step back and uh, avoid any conflict of interest, and yeah. therefore he shouldn't resign. That is, you know, that's true. Yeah. But at the same time, he's so close. Yeah. Maybe he should resign. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. he's the minister of fisheries, and yeah. this is a fisheries scandal. Absolutely. So you can see both sides. Yeah, I, I think I think in many other countries in 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 the Western world, a minister would resign on on, on those grounds. It's just it's 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 enough to to sort of a there's a hint of uh, conflict of interests interests. That's enough for 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 people to for a person to resign. Is there any precedent or any mechanism by which this one particular case could be taken away from him and he could remain the minister in all other areas? It, it can. <coughs> Sorry. I mean, uh, when ministers get into the position of there's possibly a conflict of interest, uh, the case is assigned to a different minister, just the, this particular case. So, so technically, it can be done, yes. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, that doesn't take away the sort of uh, moral principle of of it all. Mm. But then if someone's going to be Minister for Fisheries and an expert in fisheries, an insider of the industry, they're probably going to have had dealings with the biggest fishing company in the country at yeah. some point. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, a different minister would only... If, if, there, if, there, if there was some very... Uh, limited or, or well-defined issue regarding somebody, for example, mm. there would be, be appointed to a different minister. It, it would just be that particular point which which the government is uh, addressing. But uh, Yeah, this could be a lot of different points, couldn't it? Yeah. Mm. And, I, and like I said, I think the, the, uh, the cleanest thing to do would be to resign if 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 we if we're judging this on on just a, from the moral principle he would say resignation would be a sign an admission of guilt in some way and he's not guilty he would say and therefore yeah but but you can resign and say okay the the, uh, the whole thing being being beyond any doubt is a bigger thing than I am. So, and that would, and that that necessarily isn't damaging for him. I mean, if he shows uh, this sort of a moral, moral takes this takes this moral stand, mm. it could be in his advantage. Really good point. Okay, um, I think we've got time for just one more topic. Yeah. Uh, dusty traffic, journalist strike, youth welfare, or the human naming committee. All all good stories, but the human naming committee is 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 a sort of a funny human interest story because it's it's so Icelandic and ongoing as well. People have yeah. been calling for this committee to be disbanded for many oh, yeah. years. Yes, yes. Wow. Why is that? First of all, why is it controversial? It's controversial because, of course, parents want to decide for themselves what their children are going to be called. That's the one thing, and. Having a uh, official committee saying no, you, you can't name your son or your daughter, this or that, mm. is, is something that uh, p 
people are not satisfied with. Uh, the, this committee, uh, one, of, one of the things that it looks into is the, the name that's being judged is, is it uh, correctly and grammatically proper in, in Icelandic? Mm -hmm. So they're thinking of more of the language as such than, than, the, than the person who's going to bear the name. And uh, and they said or no, they said no to a lot of names. But then again, some some people have not uh, that have been rejected have kept on fighting and and won in the end. And it was a really interesting story a few weeks back. There was this man, a farmer. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be named after his grandmother, and he, of course, he, in the beginning, he wanted to call, be called Sigríður, which is a female name, and. Uh, and uh, the committee, of course, uh, not maybe not maybe of course, but not not unsurprisingly, said no, you can't be named Sirider. But he kept on fighting and and won at the end. So now he's called Sirider. Mm. But uh, there's a new bill that, if it goes through through uh, Parliament, which will allow Icelanders to take up family names, not being somebody's son or somebody's daughter, but have a have a family name. That's that's new because family names were really forbidden for some some time in Iceland. Uh, I have a family name, but it, which comes from Denmark, mm. and uh, and it's it's old. It was it was uh, it was here before the, before they banned the family names. But now, if this bill goes through, Icelanders can take up family names like people in most other countries have. Well, that's good or bad, I don't know, but uh, but it's, uh, to me, it's it's the. Uh, I think this story is funny because it's so Icelandic being sort of a, a being able to get stuck or debating for years. What people can be called, I mean, if you go to, say America or whatever, you can name your child anything. Mm. One thing that strikes me about the committee is that I don't often understand how they come to their decisions. No, neither like, do I. They have to be correct, grammatically yeah. Icelandic, yeah. and yet they they reject this one because it's got the letter C in it. Yeah, yeah. But this one with the letter C in it, they allow. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. And, and Zs and, and, and whatever other letters that are yeah. not in Icelandic. That's odd. It is really <laughs> odd. And I mean, because... We don't use those letters in the Icelandic alphabet. Mm. Uh, so, so, so if they have C or C in it, uh, they're not Icelandic, quote unquote, uh, anymore. But uh, I mean, you could be called Charlotte with a C, or Carlot, Carlotta with a K, or something like that. Mm. Uh, I think. I think uh, rejecting names on that basis is stretching it a bit, I think, in my opinion. Mm. And I, I think people should be allowed to name their children uh, whatever they think is beautiful and proper, and, and, and uh, but uh, of course within reasonable, uh, within reasonable within a reasonable frame, you, I mean, you don't call your son Satan or something like that. I mean, or your daughter Bits or like, things like that. I mean, it goes without saying, but uh, 
rejecting names because there's a C or a seed or it doesn't fit 100% into Icelandic grammar. Mm. It's a bit it's stretching it a bit, I think. Even though I, I love I love uh, sort of a, I'm very much for preserving Icelandic as it is, but the the uh, language is always developing and 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 letting the language decide what the child can be called. Like I said, I think that's stretching it. And there's so many nice, beautiful Icelandic names. They're not going to die out just because the no, law changes. No, no. There we go. Well, just like that, the show is over for another week. Um, if you'd like to take part in the final episode of the Week in Iceland at the Library, which is next Monday, the 9th of uh, December, 5 o'clock at Kringland Library, there is still time to register through the English language pages of the Reykjavik City Library website or through our own Facebook page. Enormous thanks to my guest this week, Hökur Holm, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. The Week in Iceland will return to roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, to the Roof app, and as a podcast, including on Spotify, next Monday, the 9th of December. And we end the programme with a piece of Icelandica, uh, which is a piece of music, new or old, that is culturally significant for one reason or another. And with Christmas now finally upon us, it is Svala Björgvinsdottir, with one of Iceland's most popular contemporary Christmas songs, Jehlakas Votil. Interestingly, though, it wasn't originally a Christmas song. It started life as an unsuccessful candidate to be Italy's Eurovision Song Contest entry in 1988 under the title Dopo la Tempesta. Bye for now. Beer and